0: This is Richard Zing from the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with several individuals from the organization Statisticians in the Pharmaceutical Industry, or PSI. First, I'd like to introduce Catherine Hutchinson, Vice President at Quanticate and past chair of PSI. Next is Robert Cuff, Head of Statistics from Viv Healthcare and current chair of PSI. And finally, I'd like to welcome Mark Morris, Head of Biostatistics at Conatus Pharmaceuticals, and chair elect for PSI. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. good morning. So, I found that sharing our statistical background is useful for fledgling statisticians just starting their careers. Let's start off by giving a brief summary of your educational and professional experience in statistics. Catherine, let's begin with you.
1: Uh, good morning, uh, Richard. I started uh, probably more years ago than I wish to remember, but certainly more than 25 years ago in the industry, and I started in a little company that i heard of called Beach and Pharmaceuticals, now known as GSK, and worked in a variety of um, pharmaceutical companies before settling on a CRO, um, now known as Quanticate, and I've been here for 13 years. Now, I actually did a degree in mathematics uh, at Leeds University in England, um, mainly because there weren't many statistics Degrees then, um, but then later did my master's in uh, statistics uh, to enable me to uh, kickstart my career.
0: Robert, how about you?
2: So, I did uh, an undergraduate degree in Trinity College in Dublin in mathematics and psychology. So, with the mathematics, I learned kind of the, the material that would underpin the, the statistics that I went on to do, and in the psychology department, where people came to me for their final year projects desperate for help. Uh, I, I learned the value of being, you know, king in the in the land of, of blind people by just having one eye. Uh, I went on to came over to England maybe uh, a year after I finished my undergrad. I did a conversion course in Oxford in stats and stayed on to do a PhD before starting to work in GSK in their HIV department, where I stayed for a number of years before moving over to GSK and Pfizer's joint HIV company, uh, V Healthcare, in 2011, where I've been for the last three years.
0: Mark, how about yourself?
3: Good morning. Um, so I guess my, my, my history in, in the pharmaceutical industry, I started at Pfizer uh, in 1998 and I was there go, working through it from a junior statistician um, up to more, more senior roles until uh, Pfizer made the decision to exit uh, the UK well, the Sandwich site in the UK. And then since then, I actually went, I'm currently working for a small biotech company uh, based in San Diego, uh, working basically out of the UK. Um, and previously, like as, as, as Robert and Catherine, I had a strange route into statistics. I did my degree you know, in statistics and operational research in Coventry University and then went on and did a master's in medical statistics at Leicester, Um, but before that, I actually had a career in sports coaching. Um, So I always get asked this question, how do you go from there to stats, but uh, maybe that's for another day.
0: Excellent, so if one of you would uh, please provide some history and background on statisticians in the pharmaceutical industry. particularly why the organization is abbreviated PSI.
1: Well, uh, PSI was started in 1977 um, by a few like-minded statisticians who were working in what was then the fledgling pharmaceutical industry in the UK. And um, they decided to set up an organization to basically formalize um, the fact they were meeting up and just discussing statistics uh, and issues in the industry and um, when they were looking to set it up and uh, meeting up they, they, they toyed around with, with statistics pharmaceutical industry and so they immediately came up with SPI um, but they thought maybe that didn't have the right connotations and then um, actually a colleague I, I worked with at Syntex uh, Mandy Reese, suddenly said, said well why don't we say PSI still be statisticians in the pharmaceutical industry but it has the Greek symbol connotation, um, because we work uh, with lots of formulae with Greek uh, symbols. PSI was formed.
3: But it's also interesting, to note that when PSI was formed, the majority of statisticians in the industry was worki- working in manufacturing, of uh, because that's where the legislation was that you needed stat supporting in, or sort of suitably qualified statisticians for manufacturing. Then obviously, when the regulations sort of changed and started talking about clinical trials, then obviously the statisticians suddenly became, you know, a role was was created there, that statisticians have a key key role to play in, in, in that area.
0: So PSI is uh, primarily UK-based, but you seem to have a number of uh, individuals from uh, mainland Europe who come to the meeting every year. Is that correct? What What's the breakdown in terms of uh, the number of UK statisticians versus uh, other areas of Europe?
2: Our membership's probably... 80% UK, 20% uh, or mainland Europe, or with a few uh, a few people from further afield uh, thrown in as well. But to be honest, we welcome anybody from anywhere in the world who wants to join the society or who wants to come to any of our events. If you're willing to travel, uh, we'll be delighted to have you.
0: Very good. So uh, PSI seems unique among other organizations in that members need to show proof of working within the pharmaceutical industry prior to joining. So why uh, this requirement?
3: Well, actually, we don't request or require that uh, members work in the pharmaceutical industry. And I, I kind of think there's some, like, sometimes there's that misconception just because of the name that, you know, we've got the pharmaceutical industry in the name. But actually, we're a body promoting statistics and for anyone who has an, an interest in health care. So, you know, we're a bit more broader than just the... Far, and, and basically, just the way the industry is going as well, that we're much more broader in looking across all, all healthcare. care. Um, and so... And also, I mean, we do guess for for the full membership that we expect people to have some training in, in statistics. But again, you know, that we have different levels of membership, so you don't necessarily have to have formal stats training to be a member. To be, a, You do to be a full member, but um, we do have different levels
0: of membership. Okay, well, what are some of the benefits of membership within PSI? Uh, for example, how does PSI support the career development of its members?
1: Well, I think that's multifaceted. I mean, one of the jewels in the PSI crown it, uh, has to be our journal, Pharmaceutical Statistics, Um that was um, put in place around 12 years ago. Uh, um, We launched it around the 25th anniversary of PSI, and um, that provides a very practical and appropriate voice for people developing um, techniques, but also practical applications in medical statistics that are essentially very relevant to our industry. Um, It's very well regarded, it does very well in um, in comparison to other statistical journals and is an opportunity for statisticians to develop their abilities to write publications and is broadly encouraged within companies to, to submit papers. Um, The other benefits, um, PSI is unique in Europe um, for providing specific training courses in statistics. What we find is the training courses we develop that are open to non-members as well, but members get a preferential rate. Um, is um, very targeted training for the industry, for clinical trials, and we very much adapt those courses and are looking at new methodologies that that our members need in order to develop their own careers. Um, That, plus the one-day meetings, and the annual conference which, which grows from strength to strength with a variety of speakers and an opportunity for, for many people, including myself, to talk to regulators where they may not do it in their day to day jobs, so talking to the MHRA who um, have always supported us through our conference.
2: The only thing I'd add to that is perhaps the committees and the special interest groups that provide a forum for our, our members to come together and either to organise the affairs to work on issues that particularly interest them in the development of the industry Uh, and as we move less and less to -to face-to-face meetings and more of our interactions are done virtually over the phone I think the SIGs are looking sorry the special interest groups or SIGs are looking more and more to participation not just from the UK but from Europe and from the States as well so because for any of these issues, if you're looking to, you know, to have an impact on the way people think about subgroups or the way people think about benefit risk, that's not a UK issue. That's a global issue, or, or it's a global industry. And so we're always looking for members. That's one message I'd really like to get across to people listening.
3: I, th- I think another way that PSI develops or helps to develop members, you know, members within PSI, it is a volunteer-based organisation and i think there's great opportunities to get involved to get participate in some of the you know in the scientific committee for example that arranges all these all these one day meetings and the conference and i think it provides opportunities for not only all statisticians at whatever level of their career to get a, more exposure doing something different to their normal day job and you know and i think there's great advantages to get involved and um, just develop as an individual.
0: So in what ways does PSI promote and celebrate the discipline of statistics?
2: Well it kind of depends on who the audience is. I think we promote it to what, to our membership, to statisticians in, statisticians in the industry, uh, to the industry in general and uh, to the lay public too. Uh, so for the lay public uh, we would promote the discipline as a career through participation in you know, talks to universities, national science fairs, uh, putting up careers fairs where people can explore jobs in the industry. Uh, we run a briefing service for the lay media, so interpreting the statistics behind some of the health stories and health scares that turn up uh, in the papers on a regular basis. Um, for our members, we promote the discipline through much of the scientific content that Catherine and Mark have, have already described and through the journal. Uh, and for industry in general, I think we do two things. One, of which is, to, is a, a one of which is a programme that we're launching at the moment, which is an outreach to small pharma and to biotech. So large pharma is served by an army of statisticians, but sometimes these smaller companies don't necessarily have an awareness or the time to take full value of the benefit that STATS can bring to their development programs and it's too late to to try and treat things once they run a single arm study with not enough patients. Uh, And so we've put up a directory of statistical consultants who specialize in pharma on the PSI web pages and we're also putting together a series of webinars that we will advertise to these small companies to promote the value of STATS and, and to drive them to that directory of consultants and to the Royal Statistical Society's directory as well. And the final thing we do to promote the value of stats is the uh, award that we give every year for uh, excellence in performing stats in in the industry. It's a joint award that we run with the Royal Statistical Society uh, and it looks at examples of work that either are particularly innovative or influential in the way they apply or communicate well-understood statistical techniques in the industry. Uh, We're actually coming up to the deadline For awards this year, it's on May 23rd, so if anybody uh, has a piece of work that they're particularly proud of uh, from last year, there is still maybe just about time to submit an entry and to achieve fame uh, before the end of the year.
0: Can you summarise some of the major differences in trying to uh, win approval for drugs or devices in Europe versus the United States?
1: Well, from a statistics perspective, Uh, one of the major differences is actually the number of statisticians in the FDA versus the European bodies. Uh, The FDA have an army of statisticians uh, supporting the regulatory and approval process, digging into the data, supporting companies, uh, in some cases looking at certain aspects of the data, certain aspects of the endpoints. In Europe, um, we have only very few statisticians working for the agencies and they do an amazing job given uh, the the number of uh, reviews and submissions that are submitted to Europe. But their review is is much more of an overview and uh, insightful um, review and uh, the way they interact with the statisticians in the companies also um, is, is different.
2: I think it, from my perspective, I think you'd see it at, at three points. The, the interactions during your development are different. Um, that's probably because the agencies are acting in different capacities in, in each jurisdiction. So when you are discussing your development plans in the US, you're asking the agency to approve the conduct of your clinical trials, whereas when you go to the European agencies for scientific advice, you're really asking them about whether the studies if conducted could lead to a package of data that would support an assessment of of the benefit risk so that leads to some slightly different conversations in those early phases and perhaps more detailed uh, interaction with the FDA about your early early studies when you come to the review of the actual submission package you'll see some differences as well partially driven by the factors that Catherine alluded to uh, in terms of the number of of technically statisticians in, in the FDA that there'll be more focus on some of the technical statistical issues one example is multiplicity I I recognise that some of that is driven by the different legislative frameworks in each jurisdiction what significant differences you see in your label what they enable you to say in your promotional material but you will note that in the US you'll get into more detail about the technical stats where I think the assessment in Europe is more based on a holistic interdisciplinary uh, consideration of how the stats line up with the clinical pharmacology and the other experiments that you've done in your package and then of course finally once you get past all that uh, the reimbursement environment is very very different in in the u.s and in europe Uh, i think in most european countries now there is an agency that's formally charged with assessing whether or not the drug will be reimbursed so not just whether it's acceptable to license it but whether or not it provides incremental value over and above what's already available and whether that value is provided at well, a price that's worth paying. Uh, and that pressure in Europe has increased over the last few years as the economic climate has changed and pushed governments further along that path.
3: So I think from a personal perspective, having attended meetings uh, with the FDA and also within with regulatory bodies from, from Europe, um, on a stats level, I, I do get the feeling, because of the more formal nature of an FDA Interaction that they are very much more bound by legislation and very rarely will say anything outside their own guidelines and are very careful not to go outside their own guidelines. Whereas I think with the uh, opportunity with going for scientific advice within Europe, it tends to feel as if it's more of a two-way interaction. And yes, there are obviously guidelines um, that are issued by the European regulatory bodies but again, you get into more of a discussion around stats issues and specifically difficult stats issues for your particular development plan. It seems to be more of an open door about what, is, what could we possibly try to do to, you know, to, to analyse our data better or do better design in a difficult situation.
0: Are there unique statistical challenges that statisticians in Europe are faced with, other than what we've already uh, touched on a bit? Well, you, you,
3: it's very difficult to, to say, particularly with that, you know, in, before you go through the process. I mean, generally, you kind of hope that, that the two agencies are aligned. Um, I mean, I have known occasions or heard of occasions where you can actually have a registration program where the FDA and the European regulators don't actually agree on the primary endpoint, and I think you sometimes have been seen that uh, you know that one, one single registration ends up with two different protocols with two different endpoints, and uh, you know you kind of hope that that's a rare event, and you, you kind of hope that uh, you know. To make everyone's life easier, that the, the the agencies are aligned.
0: But that generally happens that the agencies are aligned.
3: Well, I think they do speak to each other, don't they? So they, they tend to, you know, especially in specific disease areas, etc. They they do tr- speak to uh, each other and discuss things as as regulatory groups. But again, they don't always agree on what is the best p- approach to take. And I think also one of the diff one of the differences I find is. The FDA are very much bound by, you know, law, and are very reluctant to s- step out of, of that legislation. Whereas I think, the, when you go for scientific advice, etc., you seem to be more in a sort of two-way conversation uh, with the European regulators. Whereas the FDA are very much: this is what our guidance says. This is, you know, this is the guidance we will give you because this is what it states. In our legislation, and they, you know, and they, and for obvious reasons, you know, they're reluctant to
0: to move away from that. So PSI obviously has some uh, relationships with the Ur- the European uh, statistical groups. Um, so is there uh, interest in developing a more cross-organizational collaboration with other statistical organizations, such as the ASA Biopharmaceutical Section, or? Uh, other statistical organizations within the United States? Uh,
2: Unquestionably. uh, I think, as I said earlier, the issues that we face are not just issues in Kansas or issues in London. They're kind of global issues of how data are interpreted. Uh, And it's very important that we take account of all the different local considerations that can sometimes drive differences in practice in Europe or in the States. Um, But we're much more influential if we speak globally rather than speaking just as a one local organization. And that's why for us, It's very important that we're a member of FSPI, which is the European Federation of of Pharmaceutical Statisticians. Uh, And any time that we can populate our special interest groups or committees with people who have that broader perspective, who who think about things a little bit differently or have a different, uh, uh, yeah, work in a different context, that's enormously valuable to us. So the answer is yes,
0: yes, 100%. So on a lighter note, last year's conference dinner uh, it was an amazing affair. Everyone in formal dress, engaging in traditional Scottish dancing. Has the conference dinner always been so lively? I guess we'll find out tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
3: to be honest, I can very rarely remember them. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think it's a key part of the conference is the networking and the social interactivity. I think it's always been seen, you, you know, especially in, in big Pharma, you get, you can be very stuck with your own organization and I think psi and events such as a conference such as the one- day meetings and all this is an opportunity for statisticians of different companies to meet each other you know to find out how things are done in different companies and and, and I think it's a great learning process and also it's a very small industry and uh, people move around from you know companies to companies and it's good to and people enjoy the experience of, of coming to conference and catching up with a few old friends. So, generally, we'll find out tonight. I, I don't know what your salsa dancing is, is like. but uh, I Catherine's ones who always enjoys the uh, conference dinners and, and the entertainment afterwards.
1: Well, now that I don't have to do the after-dinner speech, that's Robert's joy this year, then I, I can enjoy the conference dinner.
2: Do you know what? The after-dinner speech is considerably less terrifying my first experience at conference. So when I first came in a couple of years ago, my then boss decided that it would be good for my profile and career development for me to participate in the stage hypnotist's act. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I,
2: I, I, I don't want to think about it, to be honest, but the after that, the, the conference speech holds no fears. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he was right, though. You know, a few
0: years later, here you Look are with that's amazing. So you had to uh, cluck like a chicken in front of everyone?
3: No, that's just your this speech.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for uh, talking to me today. I appreciate it and look forward to greater collaboration across the Atlantic. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you.
1: thanks Richard.